Tonight we're in the book of Galatians. The Bible is one book, but it has 66 books inside of it. The first book, Genesis, tells us how God started the human race with Adam and Eve, and how He started the Hebrew race with Abraham and Sarah. The last book of the Bible is the book of the Revelation, and that tells us how God is going to wind down time as we know it. To the Lord, you and I, we measure everything by time. And, but God sees everything in the same frame. He knew you would be born before, he, before the foundation of the world. He knew who would be here. He knew who would say yes or no to the gospel presentation. I don't think he picked it for that. I think he knew. Because God can see yesterday better than you can, excuse me, tomorrow better than you and I can remember yesterday. But in the scriptures, he gives us uh, each book, 66 books, 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years from the time the first book was written, the book of Job, until the last book of the book of the Revelation. Some of the men were farmers like Amos. Some of them were scribes like Ezra. Some of them were kings like David and Solomon. Some uh, were shepherds like Moses was a shepherd before. He ended up writing the first four books of the Bible. God used them. He used each of them to, um, to say what he wanted to say. Someone says sometimes, well, that book was just written by men. And yes, and the letter I wrote today was written by this pen. <laughs> But the pen did not write the letter. I moved it. I said what I wanted to say. I moved it on the pages. And the Bible says the same way in a little different way. He says the Bible did not come in old time by the will of man. But holy men, men who belong to God, they spake as they were moved by who? The Holy Spirit of God. That's why the Bible is called inspired. That means breathed by God. Well, this book we're looking at tonight is just six chapters divided for us. And it's a letter that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia. It wasn't written to one single church. It was written by churches in an area. On Paul's first missionary journey, he went to this area, the area of Galatia, and he began to share the gospel of Christ. It was when Barnabas was with him on the first time that they left Antioch. And he goes to these areas and he begins to share the gospel. However... In the time of, of Christ, of course, the gospel started with the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And the Jews were the first that God sent the gospel to. Because the Jews required a sign. And the sign, the first sign they saw was when Jesus was here, of course, He raised the dead. Every time He did a miracle, there was a Jewish person present. And the gift of tongues was given where it was supernaturally the people could hear um, in their own language, someone speaking to them who did not know that language. It was, a, it was a miracle. They knew it. They said, how do you know my language? Are you from my place? They said, no. He said, how is this? And of course, people said, wow, how? Then they criticized him. These guys are probably drunk. And that's when uh, Peter stood up with the Jewish people and spoke in the Hebrew language because all those people understood Hebrew, even though they were from all over the world. When they spoke, he told them in the Hebrew tongue, no, this is God trying to tell you that only salvation comes in His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, when the churches of Galatia heard the gospel from Paul and Barnabas, this would be many years later, over 15 to 20 years later, when he heard the gospel, uh, they, they received it and they accepted Christ. 
But then some Jews came who were stuck on the rituals and the rules of the Old Testament and the Old Testament law, and they expected someone who got saved needed to keep the kosher laws and needed to keep the rules of the Old Testament. And they begin spreading that false teaching throughout the, uh, the, the churches there. So Paul sends back the, church of, uh, the, the letter to the Galatians to tell them, no. The only way we go to heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. The law was your schoolmaster to show you that you needed Christ. I was speaking to someone the other day, and they were telling me, they said, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm a sinner. I'm not a bad sinner. I mean, I know some bad sinners, and I'm not one of them. And you're, you're telling me that if sinners, if they had to pay for their own sin, they have to go to hell. And I'm, I wasn't telling them that. I showed them that from the Bible. They said, you know, I don't know if I believe that. You're trying to tell me that I'm a sinner. I said, well, let's talk about the Ten Commandments. Those Ten Commandments, there's ten of them. Many people say, well, I'm going to heaven because I keep Ten Commandments. They can't even name the Ten Commandments. But I happen to know them by heart. I said, number one, the Bible says, put no other gods before me. Make God number one in your life. And they said, oh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I've done that. I said, well, okay. Number two, don't make any graven idols or images of anything and worship idols. Nothing that God created does He want to be worshipped. He wants to be created. He wants to be worshipped Himself. We're not supposed to worship the creature more than the Creator. But boy, we do that. We do that as a nation. We do it as a people. You know, the, the, the television show that got the most attention for several seasons was American Idol. <laughs> what do these people want? They want to be worshipped. That's what they want. It's interesting. And she goes, oh yeah, I'm doing good with that one. Doing good with that one. I said, well, the third one is, thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. I mean, you never get mad and say, God, and damn his name. You never get mad and say, Jesus Christ, in oath. There you go, hey, hang on, hang on. I said, no, I've done that, I've done that. <laughs> I said, you know what, you've done a lot of these things, and we kept on going, disobeying your mom and dad, or dishonoring your parents, not, not keeping one day for the Lord of your week. And, and then, of course, not lying, not stealing, not uh, bearing false witness with one of them, not committing adultery, not coveting, all these things. You go, oh, man, those, all those rules. No, I said, I, I didn't keep all those. You know what the, what the law was? It was her schoolmaster to show her that she doesn't have enough to go to heaven on her own. It's a schoolmaster. Well, Paul was trying to help them between the doctrines of law and grace. Is the law important? Sure, it's important. It tells us God's thinking and how He feels about the first four of the Ten Commandments tell us about uh, how our opinion should be to God. No other gods before me. Don't worship graven images. Don't take His name in vain. And remember one day for Him, the Sabbath day to keep it holy. One day is for God. That's what we show a reverence to God. The next six, starting with our first relationship, our mom and our dad, all the way down to, verse, to the tenth one, have to do with a relationship with man. And he's going to tell them these things, but he's going to remind them salvation is not by keeping rules. It is by believing and receiving the gift of eternal life. That's what he's going to explain to them. Let's look at a couple of verses real quickly. The key verses I put there is Genesis, or Galatians chapter 1, verse number 6. Would you read it out loud with me? Galatians chapter 1, verse number 6. Are you ready? I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of 
So somebody had come along and started sharing another gospel that wasn't by grace through faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. And he says to them, he tells them the thesis of the whole book is, I am amazed. I'm disappointed. I am saddened to know that you have so quickly taken the truth that I taught you and been uh, taught something different that's another gospel. It's not the right one. And boy, whenever it's all said and done, there's just two groups of people in the world. People that are saved, people that are lost. A hundred years from now, all that's going to matter for every one of us is where we live, with God in heaven or without Him in hell. That's all that's going to matter. On, that, on the, uh, the, the uh, little booklet that, that we talk about the uh, saved or lost on the Titanic, some people were in beautiful, beautiful cabins on that boat. Some of them were in the steerage with backpacks. But when it was all said and done, there was just two groups of people, not rich and poor, not wealthy and luxury or those who just were the bare minimum. It was just saved or lost. People that lived and people that died. And that's the way it is in humanity. And the only way we can have eternal life is through Jesus. Because I'm just shocked that you already have bought into something that's not true. Another gospel after you've known the truth. Chapter 2, verse 16, a little longer verse, if you'll allow me to read it real quickly. Chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law. He said, I mean, you can't be declared innocent by the work of the law. But by faith of Jesus Christ... Even we have believed in Christ, in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So how many people can be justified by the works of the law? No one. Would you look at verse 21 in that same passage of Scripture? And let's read it out loud together. Chapter 2, verse 21. Are you ready? I do not frustrate the grace of God. So he says, I look, I'm not going to frustrate what grace means. Grace means God has to do all the work. Okay? Because if you could be righteous because you kept some rules and you're better than somebody else, then why would Jesus have to die, be buried, and rise again? If you and I could earn our way to heaven, then why would Jesus have to, to, um, to go to the cross? He goes, I don't frustrate the grace of God. Because if righteousness, being good things, make you good enough to go to heaven, then why would you need a Jesus? And the truth of the matter is, you can't do it on your own. The law, keeping the laws cannot do it. And so that's the crux of this particular book of the Bible. Let's look at the outline real quickly. Number one, chapters one and two is a strong rebuke for doubt and diversion. They had been diverted from the truth. So he really just kind of rebukes them and says, listen, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. I can't believe you'd believe this. And he tells them that this is what I taught you. This is what the Bible, this is what the, the God wants you to know. And you've, you've so soon been shaken from that. So he rebukes them for their doubt in the gospel and their doubt in him. So whoever came and taught them the wrong doctrine also was throwing Paul under the proverbial bus. And they begin to criticize him as well as his teaching. And here we see a little bit of Paul. He tells a little bit of background. He says, you know, it was 14 years after Paul was saved that he was sent out as a missionary. Most of us think he got saved and boom, he was gone. The Bible is very clear, and he tells us in Galatians, we have a little bit of a history here. He got saved. Where was he at when he got saved? He was on his road to where? 
Damascus. So he was on his road to Damascus. And then uh, Ananias saw him, and then Barnabas came, and Barnabas tried to take him back in Jerusalem, but the people there were nervous because he was responsible for several widows in that church. He had been responsible to kill their husband. Those little kids running around without a daddy, it was his fault. He, in his zeal and his, in his antagonism toward the gospel and Jesus, he took the life of their dad. He had many of them arrested. He caused them great financial challenges. He put pressure on people against those who had accepted Jesus Christ. So when he came back into Jerusalem and said, I'm saved, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, well, they were not happy to see him. They thought it's a trick. He'll say that, and in a few moments, are the police in here taking us off to jail or persecuting us or having someone else die? So they didn't believe it. So the Lord had to take him into Arabia. He went for one full year in Arabia, and then he went to Tarshish, his hometown, for 10 years, and then into Antioch for one year, and then from there he was sent out. His earthly ministry, many believe, was less than 18 years of missionary work. But he was committed to the Lord. He did tremendous amount of great things with the Lord's help in that short time. But when I think about this, I finished uh, Bible college in 1989. I taught school for 11 years and now been pastoring for 20 years. But I think about that 31 years that I've been in the Lord's work. But the difference between me and the Apostle Paul is he was passionate much more so about Christ. He said, when Christ, not as my hobby, he's my life. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. He said, I know him. He said, till Christ be formed in you. He, wherever he went, he spoke of Christ. He says, and as he, he get ready to end his ministry, he said, you know, all this negative stuff, I know that bonds or afflictions are in my future. You can read it in Acts chapter 20. He said, but none of these things move me. You know why it didn't bother him? Because he didn't count his life dear to himself. It wasn't about him. So much of my life's been about me. So much of your life's been about you. He goes, I don't really care about me. He said, but I want to finish my course with joy. And I want to do the ministry that God put in front of me. And I don't want to, quit. I don't want to forget about it. We think so much about how, I'm a, how I look, how I'm a peer, what people think about me. Paul didn't really, he said, how you think about me is a light thing. I, have, I, have, I, have, I don't really care too much what you think about me because I know I've got one person to please and I have nothing to prove. And that's pretty a strong statement, but I believe that was the Apostle Paul's thought. But anyway, he had to, if you read chapters 1 and 2, you'll see that he's telling them, look, I'm the one who brought the gospel to you. I brought you the truth. You left darkness to life. Now keep believing that and don't be moved by false teachers. And people who say negative things about the Apostle Paul, he said, look, think about what happened. Think about what I did and what, I was, what God let me do. And he tells them that in verse chapters 1 and 2. Chapters 3 and 4 are illustrations of faith. And I don't have time this evening, but chapters 3 and 4 will talk about Abraham in particular. How that God counted his faith. And then you can read also in the book of Romans, it's kind of a sequel to this. In chapter 4 he talks about being adopted. 
and uh, being heirs. He talks about Hagar and, and uh, Abraham. You'll see those references in chapters 3 and 4. Chapter, or the third section there, illustrations of faith, rebuke for doubt and diversion. Number three, instruction on liberty through God's Spirit. Would you read chapter 5, verse 1 with me? Everyone read it with me, would you please? Chapter 5, verse number 1. Ready? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, He said, look, if you're going to have to, you're going to have to live your Christian life with the yoke of bondage. And he's going to talk a little bit about uh, what he did when he saw Peter and whenever they started putting the Jewish requirements on the Gentile Christians, how that he dealt with that very strongly because that brings bondage. But we ought to stand fast in the liberty that God has made us free. He's going to talk about liberty through the Holy Spirit of God. This is where you'll find chapter 5. Look at chapter 5, if you would please, in verse number 22. These are very famous verses of Scripture, but here's what brings freedom. Let's read verse 22 and 23. You ready? For the fruit of the Spirit is... Meekness, temperance, against such... So, can you, can you love or can you have too much peace? And, and no, he said, there's no law against that. That's where you have tremendous liberty. Are you supposed to be an adulterer? No. There's a law against it. You don't have liberty to do that. How about stealing? How about bitterness? How about unforgiveness? Is, is there anything? There's prohibitions against all of those things. And he tells about that in the verses in front of that. The works of the flesh are these, but this is the work of the Spirit. And when the Spirit of God controls John Wilkerson, then I have great liberty to love, to have peace, to have joy, to have meekness and, and gentleness and goodness and generosity and faith, temperance, all those things. And there's no law against that. He said, so if you are saved, live in liberty, stand in liberty where God's made you. And that way we do that is by being spirit-filled. And then, of course, chapter 6. Chapter 6, advice to the spiritual. I think it would be good for us just to read a couple verses here in verse number 1 of chapter 6. Can you look at it with me, if you would, please? Brethren, if a man be overtaken the fault, ye who are what? Spiritual. So he's going to contrast people who are spiritual and people that are carnal. There's three kinds of people. A natural person is someone who has hair on his head or they have their heart beats. They have, they have a personality, a way they think, the way they feel, but they don't have the Spirit of God alive in them. A natural man has everything every human being has, but he doesn't have the Spirit of God living in him. He's not saved yet. That's why when he tries to read the Bible, it's just like words on a page. What changes that when you're saved? When a baby is in the mother's womb, it doesn't eat anything in its mouth. For nine months that it's there, it doesn't eat anything in its mouth. There's one thing changes that, and that's birth. When they're born, they want to eat. And when someone is saved, when they're born in God's family, they have, they have an appetite for spiritual things. They also have a sensitivity, and it's called the Holy Spirit of God in there. Remember years ago, I had a guy that I led him to Christ on a Tuesday night. And it was such a blessing to see him get saved. On Friday night, he called me. He said, where are you? I said, I'm at home. He goes, when can I see you? I got to talk to you. Are you going to be at church tomorrow? I said, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow morning. Saturday morning, he met me there at the church. And he said, what happened to me on Tuesday night? I said, well, you got saved, right? You accept the Lord? Yeah, yeah. But like, like really what happens? 
He said, I work at the bank, and every Friday night I go to some club somewhere. It's not if we're going to the club. We always go to the club. I usually drink way too much, and we do all the things they do at the club. And I just find out where my friends are going. We all text each other, call each other, and we show up at the club. That's what we do every Friday night. He said, I never felt so uncomfortable in all my life. I went in that club, and I got my drink like I always do, and I have my friends there. And it was like something inside of me said, you don't belong here. He said, what do you mean what I don't belong here? This is what I do. Man, I've been doing this for like 15 years. And he said, I couldn't stand it. About, about 20 minutes into it, I was like, i got to get out of here. And that's when I called you and wanted to meet with you. What happened to me on Tuesday? Do you know what happened to him on Tuesday? The Spirit of God came inside him. And he, he, he's, there to, he's there to give liberty, but also to get us to do the right thing, to get us closer to the Lord, to help us forgive when we have problems, to help us with difficulties. He was there. He was, before Tuesday, he was on the outside. On, on Tuesday night, he came on the inside. On Friday night, he wasn't comfortable in that particular setting. And he let him know about that. So the natural man, we say, but if a spiritual man, how do we know a spiritual man? Look at verse 1 again of chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken to fall. So you got someone in your sphere of influence that's fallen, that's, that's gotten into a problem. Ye which are spiritual, what should they do? Restore such a one. In the spirit of what? What is meekness? People oftentimes, meekness is humility. Now, meekness requires humility, but it's not a really good definition for, you, for meekness. Meekness is a willing to work with someone. It's a willing to adjust to another's pace or agenda. You can't take them where they, you got to take them where they are, not from where you want them to be. It's willingness to work. Jesus said, come unto me, all of your labor heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek. Jesus said, look, if you're burdened, you're beat up by the world, you're struggling, you're fighting, you're, you're working through it. He said, come find me. Join me in my yoke. Start learning about me. Grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior. And then you're going to find that I'm meek. I'm way out here, but I'll come back and work with you. He said, ye who are spiritual will restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. Let ye also yourself. You know, listen, everybody ought to be helping somebody grow in the Lord. Somebody. You ought to say, you know what? If I, if I saw you now, you're a Christian. I ought to ask you, whose spiritual growth is your responsibility? Who are you working with? If there's nobody to say yes to that end... You're going to get, find yourself critical, self-absorbed, and not what you ought to be for the Lord. Everybody ought to be working with someone. Everybody ought to be trying to disciple someone, encourage someone, strengthen someone. It may be your own children. It may be your own household. But somebody outside your influence, you ought to say, Lord, I want to make someone else's spiritual growth my personal responsibility. Those are the happiest people in the room. They're the happiest Christians. They're most fulfilled Christians and the least critical Christians. Something happens to a man and woman who quits doing the work of the Lord. They become very critical. And they get carnal, and they're not interested in helping someone be restored. they got plenty of opinions about what ought to happen to that person. But a spiritual person will go and help them. Let's quickly, let me conclude. Here's some key words in the book. Flesh, you'll see it several times. Bondage is another strong word in Galatians. Cross, you'll see it mentioned many times in, uh, in, this, in this book. The Holy Spirit is the most mentioned. 
words, and then the sons of God. That's mentioned at least uh, four or five times there. You'll see that in the verses I gave you there. Here's some lessons to ponder. Number one, guard your influences. Would you look at chapter 3, verse 1? About three minutes from finishing up, listen carefully and follow. Would you please read chapter 3, verse number 1? Would you please? Ready? O foolish Galatians, for whose eyes the Jesus Christ hath been evidently... He said, O foolish Galatians. Well, I don't like this, but I don't like it when someone uh, says, Oh, you're so immature, or you're an idiot, or whatever. But he says, oh, foolish Galatians. And what's the next word he says? Who? Who are you listening to? Who is it that's deceived you? Well, when people get cattywampus doctrinally, almost always there's a who. When a kid starts going negative, there's almost always somebody that's a who. Very rarely do people take their first drink by themselves. Do their first drugs by themselves. Look at the first pornography picture by themselves. Somebody, there's a who involved. And truly, people who get off doctrinally, usually there's a who. A man talked to me not some time ago, and, and he said, you know, I've been, I've been reading the Bible, and I'm seeing all these wonderful things, but they don't, dis, they don't agree with what I believe he's been taught. And I said, well, who showed you that? Well, no one. I've just been reading the Bible and just finding it all myself. And a few moments later, I said, no, come on. You don't find that by just reading the Bible. Somebody got real smart and convinced you they knew what they were doing, and they're making divisions and doing things. Who? And he broke down. Well, there is a guy that has a blog in Texas, and I've been kind of watching that little thing a little bit, and a little bit of this, and this guy's a YouTube. And before I know it, he had two or three people. All of them are in cohorts together, telling him stuff that, that, he, that, he, that he told me. He just saw it by reading the Bible. It just doesn't happen. Almost always is a who. Look at one more verse real quickly. In chapter 5, verse number 7. Can we look at that one? Chapter 5, verse 7. You've probably heard pastors say this before, but let's look at it and read it with the Bible and underline it, would you? Verse 7, are you ready? Ye did run well, that ye should not obey the truth. Once again, you were doing so good. What's the next question? Who? There's a who involved. Be careful your influences. Number two, be passionate in helping others grow in Christ. Uh, would you look at chapter 4, verse 9? When I see this, I'm always convicted by the Apostle Paul. Let's look at it. Chapter 4, verse 9. My little children of whom I travail in birth again until, would you read the rest of it with me? He said, man, I remember when you were born again. And I, tra- I travailed for you to come to the new birth, but now I'm not satisfied for you just to, just to be a baby. I want you to grow. I want Christ to be formed in you. And we need passionate Sunday school teachers, bus workers. We need Sunday school teachers that will say, you know what? I'm not satisfied just to give a lesson, go over and highlight my lesson, just give it to them. I want Christ to work a work of grace in them. Disciplers, those of you who are discipling new converts, you ought to say, Lord, please, had the chance to disciple someone yesterday, and I prayed for him today, and I said, Dear God, please help my friend. Help this not just to be a Bible study and a discipleship lesson, but I pray, God, you'd give him great victory. Give him a beautiful, beautiful spouse. Give him a happy life. Help him as time goes on in his life to, to, to be, be happy and fulfilled. That you came not just to give him life, but to give it more abundantly. There ought to be something inside of us that, you know, I want that for those I'm working with. Paul said, look, 
I was there when you got born. That was wonderful. We travailed. It was not easy getting you the gospel. But I'm going to stay with you till Christ be formed in you. Number Number three, walk in the Spirit. Then number four, we must be truly spiritual in order to help other people. Spiritual people help others. I want to encourage you to read chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. It shares about that. That's the context where it says, If you be not deceived, God's not mocked. What's for a man sow that shall also reap? If you sow seeds of kindness, goodness, gratitude, help, it's going to come back to you. Remember that wonderful statement that Brother Clark made recently? Give and it shall be given unto you. What does it stand for? Anything you want it to be. You want mercy? Give mercy. You want, to be, you, want to, you want God to meet your needs? Meet someone else's needs. You want to be forgiven? Learn to forgive. Whatever you want it to be, you do that. The law of sowing and reaping, it will come back to you. That's what's taught in Galatians chapter 6.